Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we will play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Well, Delora, how are you, darling? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, good. I'm excited because it's another very special episode that we have today with uh, multi-hyphenate talent, the curvy critic herself, Miss Carla Renata. Exactly. Another Hollywood insider. So exciting. Absolutely. We're continuing our In Conversation series, guys. We hope to continue having more interviews, but let's listen in on our interview with Carla Renata. Hey, Carla. Hey, hey, Ashley and Delora. How y'all doing? Good, good. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Another day that I open my eyes to see the world is a good day. Ah, Amen amen to that. that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) All right. So, Carla, you are a multi-hyphenate in your talents as an actress, singer, film critic, podcaster, and perhaps some other things we don't know about just yet. Please walk us and our listeners through the highlights of your career journey thus far from your studies at Howard University to just wrapping a stage production of Designing Women. Ooh, that's a lot to unpack, but let me see if I can do this very short and succinctly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am Carla Renata, aka the Curvy Film Critic. I have a podcast that streams on Monday evenings via YouTube, Facebook Live, LinkedIn. I even stream it live via Twitter sometimes. Um, it's called The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata, and we do that on Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific time. I do interviews, I do film news, and I talk to people and reviews, and I talk to um, talent above and below the line in the film industry. I'm also an author. I have a book called The Actor's Guide to Marketing, How to Promote and Brand Your Unique Image. It is available on Amazon.com and in Bards and Noble. I um, am an actress. The last big thing that I did um, on television was I recurred for five seasons on the NBC sitcom Superstore. And um, I just finished a run of the world premiere of Designing Women in Fayetteville, Arkansas at Theater Squared. And I became the first African-American woman to appear on four episodic sitcoms in one season twice. That is But my journey was this. So I I went to Howard University to major in journalism and broadcast production, of which I have degrees in. And I wanted to be a television producer at ABC News. That's what I wanted to do. Um, But when I found out how much producers at ABC News made at that time, I was like, yeah, no, I can sing. I'm going to go over here and do that for a minute. Which is so shady, but that's what I did. It is what it is. <laughs> it's shady boots, but that's what I went and did. And then after I graduated from Howard, I went to, I moved to New York and I embarked upon a career in the theater because I was like, let me see what this Broadway thing is about. And I was there for about 
seven years when I got my first uh, Broadway tour, which was the Who's Tommy. And then after I got that, I just kind of went from show to show to show to show to show. Eventually, the Broadway thing brought me to Los Angeles. Um, and in the middle of that, I was doing voiceovers. I was doing national commercials. At one point, I had like seven national commercials on the air. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, I still do voiceovers. I'm the voice of a lot of different brands right now. And I came to L.A. and nothing was popping off in L.A. And I was just about to go back to the East Coast and get a master's degree at Howard when I booked The Lion King. And The Lion King sat at the Pantages Theater in L.A. for three years. Yes. I was there from the day it opened to the day it closed. I played wow. Shifty, the hyena. Nobody ever knows who that is. So it's the Whoopi Goldberg part. Yes. Oh, yeah, we know who that is. Absolutely. <laughs> but so I'm like, let me just say it's Whoopi Goldberg part. Um, I was nominated for an NAACP Theater Award for that. And then once the show closed, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I decided to go full throttle into film and television. And I became a part of the CBS Diversity Showcase, which allowed me to audition in front of a plethora of casting directors and um, directors and agents and producers and whatnot. And I got brought in to audition side. And that was like my first big TV thing. I had a big guest arc on CSI. And I never looked back from there. I ended up doing the original Carla. You talked the original CSI. The original CSI, the Vegas CSI. Yeah, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I was I loved Miami, but it's all good. <laughs> and it was fun. It was fun to do that. And the episode, ironically, was written by another Howard alumni grad. Which I went to Howard East Howard University. Hu, you know, Ooh, Bison. <laughs> We got, a, yes. we, we got a VP in the White House. You know how we were. Yes. We got a VP in the White House. Anyway. Forever. Um, <laughs> forever. <laughs> um, but after, after many years of doing film and TV and theater, my career came to a standstill. And I was like, ooh, what am I going to do now? And I remember taking this class back when they had classes for like social media and podcasting. And I took this class and the young lady that was teaching the class encouraged me to start a blog, a vlog. I didn't know what that was. I started one and then I was working as a um, co-host at an internet radio station. And the guy that owned the station and was also the host of the show that I was co-hosting, when I told him what I wanted to do, he gave me seven minutes to talk about movies on his podcast. And um, after that, I joined a couple of film critics organizations and things kind of just blew up. I ended up being profiled in Variety. They did a, in yeah. the LA Times, the thing that made, the thing that really made things pop off was a feature article that was written by Travell Anderson. He wrote an article about underrepresented critics in this space. And he profiled maybe, I think maybe about 10 to 15 of us. And I was one of those people. And after that, things really kind of popped off. I ended up through AFCA, the African-American Film Critics Association, co-hosting um, a night of film around Black musicals at Turner Classic Movies. I ended up doing some pundit work for Fox 11 LA, I was on KTLA 5, I, I was on Black News Channel. People will call me from time to time and ask my opinion about things that are popping off in the film industry or ask my opinion about a film and I'll get calls for that. But I really enjoy it. It's something that brings me um, a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
not calm, but I enjoy talking about movies. I mm-hmm. enjoy acting and I enjoy talking about movies. I love them both for different reasons. But um, yeah, I think that's the long and the short of it. <laughs> really quick, you can tell how much you love movies because in your interviews, you, especially when you interview celebrities, um, actors, your, what do I want to say? Your um, Rolodex of the their performances is just so impressive. <laughs> like um, you were talking to um, Amanda Seyfried and, and you just, I, I can't remember the, the movie that they did. A but there. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And you were able to just, you know, have that call back. Very impressive. Very, very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> My next question is about the Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. You're nearing 200 episodes of your podcast, which congratulations. Crazy Thank impressive. You. We're we're Congrats. a baby compared to you at this point. Absolutely. Um, what inspired you? You talked about it a little bit, but what inspired you to want to get into podcasting? Um, I did talk about that a little bit. It, it literally was the fact that I had lost, I had four, I was on four television shows at one time. And they all went away within a period of two weeks. They all got canceled and went away within a period of two weeks. So I went from having multiple streams of income to zero. And I was like, I have a house. I have a mortgage. So I I have to figure something out. Absolutely. So when I took that class that I spoke of, the young lady was like, well, what do you like to do? I'm like, I love watching movies. And she was like, well, why don't you talk about that? I'm like, you're right. Like somebody's really going to tune in to listen to me talk about movies. She's like, you never know. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Same thing we thought, Carla. Same thing we thought. And so that's what I did. And to my surprise and amazement, like, and this is is what I want to say about The Curvy Critic with Carla and and podcasting in general. You know, a lot of people seem to think that when you're podcasting, whichever podcasting platform you're on, whether it's YouTube or whether it's, you know, um, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, people seem to think you have to have millions and hundreds of viewers in order to make an impact or make a difference. I'm telling you right now, that is not true. It is not true. It's Mm -hmm. not about the content. It's about the quality of the content. Yes. It's not about the content. It's about the quality of the content. If the quality of your content makes people want to watch, they'll watch and they'll tell somebody else and they'll tell somebody else. But that's why I got into it and I stay in it because I don't see. Well, let me let me take that back. I got into it and I stay in it for this reason. When I decided I wanted to um embark upon the world of film criticism, I did some research to find out how many Black women were in that space or women of any color. And I discovered it was less than 1% compared to our middle-aged white male counterparts. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I know as much as they do, and in some cases more, I could do this and probably better than them. So let me go ahead and- Two snaps. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because I was like, why? And this is the other thing. Black people, Latino people, Asian people, anybody that is considered non-white make up the largest majority of the movie going audience. Exactly. So why is that voice not reflected in film criticism? It pissed me off and it made me angry. And I was like, this needs to change. No shade to the middle-aged white dudes, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of them are very, very, very um, gifted, 
They're like walking Rolodexes of film, you know, and they provide a lot of insight from a technical standpoint. But when someone goes to see a film that is white, like if Beale Street could talk or Boomerang, they have the same perspective on it that we will. Exactly. And I love that you say that too about the representation factor of film criticism because confession, I wanted to be a film critic growing up. I've always gravitated towards film and television, all those things. Again, the reason why Delora and I really started this podcast ourselves, but I didn't see that representation of Black women growing up. You know, we had the Roger Eberts. We had people that I knew as white men who were famous and out there and their names are out there, but you are the first Black female film critic I've ever spoken to. And I am in my 30s. So the inspiration for me from that is just powerful. So I can only imagine to our listeners and to other people who have those aspirations, how much it means to see someone who looks like them in that position and thriving. So thank you so much for that. Cause it really matters. Oh, it really matters. Absolutely. Cry. <laughs> I was, I was getting a little choked up just talking about it. You can't become what you don't see. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you can, but it's going to be a hard road to go. And yeah. I was like, I want to be that voice and that face that when somebody looks at me, they're like, Oh snap, she's doing that. Then I can do this too. Absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. That makes me feel like all this, all this hard work and not getting paid what I should be getting paid. <laughs> we appreciate Absolutely. you so much. Look, you have so you have Kamala, first VP president. You have you coming out of Howard as well, first female black film critic I've ever spoken to and seen out there. So congratulations. There's many of thank you. There's many of us. There's so many of us out there. People just weren't giving us the platform, the credit, or the voice. And that has drastically shifted, I would say, within the last five years. We're starting to have um, Black female, particularly Black female voices at the trades. You know, one of the film critics at the trades is a Black woman. Her name is Valerie Complex. The senior uh, film correspondent at Variety is Angelique Jackson. One of the other film critics at Variety, Clayton Davis, is a... um, I think he's Latin and black, but it's starting to shift and it's starting to change, especially at the top of the food chain, which is where it needs to change. Mm-hmm. Because change at the top of the food chain and it can't trickle down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, we're, we're out, so I just want to I say all that to say that we're out there. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, I hope that you see many more other than just me because they are out there and they do exist and they're all doing really wonderful, wonderful, wonderful exemplary work. There's another young lady named Sharonda Williams. She has a site called Pay or Wait. She's fabulous and very entertaining to boot, but <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of us out there. Okay. Well, thanks for putting those names out there, guys. Be sure to check those folks out as well. Delora, next question is yours. Who's your favorite celebrity interview? And do you prefer in-person interviews or red, red carpets over virtual? I have some opinions about all of that. So the red carpet situation, it's very exciting and a lot of fun when you first start doing it. But then after a while, you're like, I got to be in these pumps for five hours. I'm <laughs> <laughs> it mm. here cold (laughs) you don't always you be standing there sometimes for three hours waiting for that one person that you went to the car before just to have them walk past you Mm. red carpet red carpet work is grueling and it's extremely difficult Mm. you have to have a certain type of mindset 
and a certain type of temperance and patience to do that kind of work. And you have to be prepared that you might not get to ask any questions and you might have a thousand questions for this one person and you'll only get to ask one. And or a lot mm -hmm. of when it comes to us, they will group us together and only let one person ask a question for like 15 people. Mm. So it's, 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 the, it's the least favorite of my interview situations just because mm -hmm. I can't get a lot of content out of it. And it's more of a soundbite situation. And mm -hmm. I don't operate from a soundbite situation. So it doesn't really serve my purpose as well. In-person interviews are always great because it's in person. Mm -hmm. You're talking to somebody, you can get an energy and a vibe from somebody in, in person that you can't get any other way. Because I am who I am and I have this big old personality that I have, I can thrive in any one of those arenas. The mm -hmm. virtual situation was not new to me because I went over to Black Hollywood Live where I was doing virtual stuff all the time. So I became used to doing it through that venue. So when everything flipped and went upside down on its head during COVID, I was already ready for it because I'd been doing it for three years already. So I already knew what that was. I knew how to like, you know, upload stuff and edit it and compress it and throw an overlay over it. And, you know, I knew how to, and, you know, fix the sound. I knew how to do all of that, mostly because I learned how to do it in college. But then yes. when I saw with the Black Hollywood Live, they mm -hmm. updated what I already knew and gave me even better skills to, to move forward. And I've so, loved okay. some of your virtual interviews. I've gotten a chance to see, especially the, yes. I know what you did last summer, Cass, because I'm literally in the midst of watching that. So especially the star, the main actress, uh, I can't think of her name right now, but I agree with you. Her double duty, like she's killing it. So yeah, she was great. She was yeah. really, really great. I, I watched it for her because she, she got down. Yes, yeah. she did. Yes. Not, yes. No spoilers, but yes, she does. No spoilers, but she got down. My favorite celebrity interview, um, mm -hmm. There's a, there's a couple of them. So I interview a lot of female and women filmmakers. And there's a, a, a woman filmmaker named Equa, Equa Masangi, who had um, a little film. I can't remember the name of the film right now, but she had this film that was about this man who had come over from another country and to get things started to bring his family over and he ends up having an affair. And then his wife comes over and discovers that he's having this affair and they have to figure out how to repair their marriage. In addition to the mother is trying to stop their daughter from becoming Americanized, so to speak, and getting caught mm -hmm. up in the ropes of what American teen culture is. Mm -hmm. It was a great film. I love that movie so much, but me talking to her, we had the best time ever because it was just a conversation of us kicking it. And, you know, I've been a fan of Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall forever. Yes. So Coming to America 2 came out and I was afforded the opportunity to talk to both of them. That was, wow. that was a dream come true for me because I think that Eddie Murphy is one of the most underrated geniuses in our industry. I mean, people mm -hmm. that whole plastic surgery and doing double character stuff, it started with Jerry Lewis back in the day. But as far as we are concerned, it started with Eddie Murphy. Right. You know, barbershop and all these other things that he was doing. And Eddie Murphy is notorious for bringing, you know, up and coming comic talent as well as legends onto his projects. If you look at any and all of his movies, you will see that he always got some OGs coupled with whoever's hot and coming up all at the same time and his mm. he never he always gives back yeah that's true back and arsenio 
I'm interviewing Arsenio. What? Yes. And when I finished it, Arsenio was like, I'm going to follow you on social media. And he does. He follows wow. me everywhere. And we'll talk yes. to him on social media. That's, yes. that's amazing. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's amazing. Absolutely. So to follow up on that question, do you ever get starstruck? And how do you overcome it if you do? I don't get starstruck very often. Like I have, I, there are people that I really admire their work and, and am in awe of what they've been able to accomplish in the industry. But very rarely am I starstruck. And I've always been like that, which is probably why I can talk to big name talent because I don't really care. They go to the bathroom just like I do. <laughs> right. There yeah. you go. There you go. Uh, well, I'm a little starstruck talking to you, but let me move on to my next question, which is not, no, seriously, not to play favorites, but as a film critic, what is your favorite project of the year and why? My favorite project that I've seen this year thus far, and maybe it's just because I just saw it, is this film called Belfast. Oh, yeah. It is the most artistically beautiful film I've seen in a minute it's in black and white I love watching let me just say I love watching films in black and white and there's quite a few of them this year Passing is in black and white Belfast is in black and white um you just did a post on Instagram about that right on your Instagram yeah Macbeth Macbeth with uh, Denzel Washington is in black and white highly anticipated we can't wait wait. (laughs) something else that's in black and white I can't remember what it is but um, uh, Cyrano, I think a little bit of Cyrano is in black and white too, but I love watching black and white films because with a black and white film, you have to pay attention to the story. You have to pay attention to the actors. You have to pay attention to the elements like the production design, the lighting, the directing, the script, the dialogue, because you're not distracted by colors or shiny objects you know, lurking in the background at you for you to go like, ooh, like squirrel. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's more intimate, right? Right. And so you're able to concentrate and watch things in a different type of way that we're not used to. There was a moment where all films were in black and white and people didn't know any better. And then yes. when color came along, color was the big shiny object, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. now, you know, it, you get a little bit of both. But Belfast is an amazing story because it delves into all these. Not only does it delve into a chapter of history that I'm not that familiar with, but it delves into the relationships of this family dynamic between the grandparents and the son, the husband and the wife, the son and the the grandchild. I mean, it's just a lot going on. It's uh, the little boy falls in love for the first time and what that's like for him to have to move away. Like it's a lot going on in this movie, a lot, but it's wonderful. It's going to, it's going to sweep award season. It is really okay. yeah. it's early def- prediction. It's definitely going to sweep award season. I mean, if nothing else for the technical aspects, but it's going to sweep award season. And the dude that's starring in it, Jamie Dorman, Dorman, yeah is the dude that was in 50 shades of mm-hmm. i'm watching and so my crazy silly just unconventional behind is watching the movie and the whole time like there's this deep sadness thing going on and mm-hmm. i'm looking at the movie going dang he is fine Who is 
Like, have I seen? He looks familiar. Why do I know that face? Yeah. Wrong. Just so inappropriate and wrong. The wife is from Outlander, and I'm a huge Outlander fan. So I'm. Yeah, Delora got me into Outlander. I had a sex and breaks, though. That gets really heavy. But I was going to say about Jamie Dornan. I yes. think people can kind of re- not realize he's such a good actor. I saw him in a series he did with Gillian Anderson. That mm-hmm. was the first time I realized how great of an actor he was. He was a serial killer and he was so, <laughs> yeah, it was such a departure from, mm-hmm. from his character, obviously, but it was also like, oh, I didn't know that he was this good. You know what I mean? So I have to check out Belfast because I have Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's doing his thing in that. But the whole time I was distracted by those <laughs> and, looks. And I- I was distracted by those looks, and that was in black and white. Can you even imagine? I Did he have the beard? Because he has a great beard. No, he's very clean. Oh, yeah. even. Okay. He's fine, though. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't it. get down like that, but I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a, he's a good-looking man. There's no doubt about that. Nope. Yes. Do you prefer acting or your credit work? I like them both for different reasons, because they provide me... They, they fuel me creatively in different ways, right? So with acting, I'm able to step into a life or a situation that nine times out of 10 would not be mine. You know, like with designing women, I was playing a lesbian. I'm straight. So I had to figure out a way to play a woman that was a lesbian and a mother, and I'm not a mother either. And I'm not married either. So I had to figure out a way to play this person that had these circumstances in their life that I don't have anywhere in mind and play them truthfully and honestly. And that's a challenge and it's fun to do that because it makes you think and it makes you, you know, figure out how to honor all of that without it being stereotypical or cliche. Um, In terms of the film criticism, I like, when I tell you I love movies, I really love movies. My mom, when I was a kid, Uh, She was a registered nurse and she had one day off and it was usually like a Saturday or a Sunday. And in St. Louis, Missouri, they had this one channel that would show old movies all day long. Mm -hmm. They would show like, you know, Charlie Chan movies all day long or Bowery Boy movies or Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movies or whatever these old movies were for like the 30s, 40s and 50s. They would show them and it would be around one particular talent for the whole day. And we would my brother and I would climb into bed with my mom with a bowl of cereal and we'd watch these movies all day with my mother and my mother was like (laughs) I joke and I say my mother was Robert Osborne when there wasn't a Robert Osborne because my mother literally will watch a movie my mother can tell you who directed it who starred in it what was going on with the stars how they got cast she knows about the costume design like my mother's that person Mm -hmm. our mothers are like that yeah (laughs) yeah I it like start, that. it, that's and, where it starts we, from, doesn't it? It starts from absolutely. the home. It starts from your upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is a cinephile. My mom is a cinephile. My mother doesn't even know what cinephile means, but that's what she is. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> it didn't need a word. Your mama knew it all. My mama knew it all. And she told, she, as a matter of fact, this is the funniest story. So my mother, I was auditioning to get cast in a revival of how to succeed in business without really trying Matthew mm-hmm. Potter had starred in it mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about it and so I called my mom and I was like yeah I got this audition I'm like do you know anything about this and my mother was like oh yes it won the Pulitzer Prize and it was written by A. Burroughs and uh Robert Morris and Michelle Lee did it on Broadway and did it. like she knew anything there was and this there was no Google there was no internet 
It right. was just my mom. <laughs> right. I love it. She I told love me it. everything there was to know. She said, oh, it's about secretaries, so you should wear this, you should wear that. Like, she knew everything there was to know. I'm sure it made her so proud to see you walk this path. Yeah, you know what the best moment for me with that, it, you're right, it, it has made her proud. But the proudest moment I think she ever had is my mother loves Turner Classic movies. So when I hosted, when I went flew to Atlanta and shot my episodes to host Turner Classic movies and then came back home and was able to sit and watch that with my mom, that was the best thing ever. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's beautiful. And watch with my mother, me hosting on Turner Classic Movies. Turner Classic Movies, up until um, a few years ago, didn't have any Black hosts, period. Mm. No. Breaking that's barriers. Breaking barriers. Like, what's, what's a dream project you're hoping to work on or bring to life in the future? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea. I have no I live... I live my life pretty much in the moment. I just go from day to day because, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody. So I just deal with what I got to deal with in this 24 hours. And when the next 24 hours comes along, then I'll deal with that too. Well, you're making great use of every 24 hours you've been given thus far. I will say that. Absolutely. You've accomplished so much with your brand. Do you have any future goals for your brand? I do have future goals for my brand. I would love for, to see my show be like um, at the movies was with Cisco and Ebert, you know, yes. like I think people I've talked to some people and they don't think that there is something like that that's necessary. But I think that if there was someone like me doing it with a fresh voice that was a black woman that had, you know, some really creative spin to it, people would pay attention to it and they would like it. I mean, even when I write my reviews or talk about them on YouTube, people will DM me or send me emails and go, well, what did you think about this movie? Or what did they, they want to know what I thought. And when I don't like something, I try my best not to completely dog it out because in some yeah. Cases, yes. these films take five to 20 years to get made. Who am so I to, yeah. to you know, pour acid rain on somebody's creativity in their dream? You know, I don't mm-hmm. have the right to do that. And I really don't like it when other people do that. I think that's just somebody's way of getting attention. And I think it's the wrong way of getting attention. But there's a way to say that you don't like something without being completely mean and annihilating the project. And Mm -hmm. what I usually do is, (laughs) if you ever hear me say this, you know, I didn't like it. Whenever you hear me say, you know, the audience that likes blah, 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 they will love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very, that's a very nice way to go about it for sure. Absolutely. Every time you say that, I ain't like that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's something we've been mindful of too, as we progress Mm -hmm. with our podcast, because we grade every single project. And I think that one thing that we always try to be mindful of is we don't want to review or talk about anything that we don't enjoy, because if we don't find enjoyment out of it, and we're just going to talk about it or dog it or anything that's just not the best use of our time yeah criticize other people's work for me personally is so hard to do because to your point it's not just the time but it's the effort that these people put into it it's everything that goes on behind the scenes it's every single job that somebody had to bring it to life like it just feels so harsh in a very personal way it is harsh I have to say there has been a couple of times though where we didn't necessarily enjoy the project but our conversation around it 
was actually an enjoyable conversation because we talked about like opportunities and things like that. But yeah, we are very mindful of that because like to your point and Ashley's point, it's it's so many people that go into a project and yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to find that balance, but I think it's so easy for people to bash because it, like you said, it's for attention. You get that a lot every day on Twitter, right? Well, everybody <laughs> has an opinion. So. And we, I was just about to say, Delora, that what happened was yesterday I was on Twitter and that somebody has started, you know, because of Clubhouse, <laughs> Clubhouse has made social media eat a, a zillion times worse because people have opinions and Clubhouse, especially on Clubhouse, people will spout out opinions that aren't necessarily true. And mm. you have people, you know, buying into what people are saying because they say they're an expert. They're not. Mm. But on Twitter yesterday, I, I digress, but on Twitter yesterday, I was on Twitter and I saw some people, a bunch of um, critics get together in a clubhouse type format on Twitter to talk about the Eternals. Mm. And I was Ooh. like, yeah, don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Like, if y'all are doing that, if you're, if you're at a junket or, you know, in the privacy of someone's home and y'all want to sit and complain and you know, or say whatever you want to say about the project in that way, in that forum, that's fine. But to get on Twitter, like Twitter, I don't think people realize sometimes or that Twitter is global. Like what right. you yes. there, whether it's verbal or written, it's around the globe. It's not just to the people that follow you. Right, right. And especially if you do have any level of stature or clout and you have uh, and a mass of followers, people were yeah. going to take those words and perpetuate them even more. Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like when people do that. It just, I just think it's unnecessary. And I think that there are better uses of your time. Like you were saying, Ashley, there's just better uses of your time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the final question I have is what advice do you have for those that are hoping to get into these industries you work in, film, television, whether it's your critic work, what have you? What advice do you have? You have to study. You have to learn your craft, regardless of what it is. You have to study and learn your craft. People are so obsessed with, you know, getting something yesterday. I cannot tell you how many DMs I get with somebody wanting to pick my brain. Um, Pick my brain costs money. Yes. They're picking my brain for free. So there's that. Let me give you my Venmo account. (laughs) But you have to learn your craft. Like I remember early on, there was a young lady that I was working with that was like, can you teach me how to be a film critic? And I said, well, what exactly do you think being a film critic is? And all she saw is that I was on Turner Classic Movies or I was over at Fox or I was on NPR or I was on KCR. Like all she saw is that I was getting national attention, right? Mm -hmm. And in some instances, really high profile local attention. And that's all she saw. I said, what do you know about the the actual craft of making a film? Do you know who the cinematographers are? Do you know anything about sound sound design, production design, costume design? Do you know um, 
about the casting community? Like, what do you know about those areas? And she looked at me like I had 10 heads. I said, exactly. <laughs> when you're talking about a movie, you're not just talking about the stars in the film and their performances. You're looking at the whole aesthetic of the film. That's why it's called a film critic. It's not called an actor performance critic. It's not called a production design critic. It's no. called a film critic. The same thing goes for acting. The same thing goes for voiceover. The same thing goes for anything in the creative realm. If you want to be an actor, you have to study your It starts with your craft. If you get an audition and you don't know your craft and you don't have your intentions and your objectives marked out, it's not going to matter that you got the audition because at the end of the day, you're going to come off ill-prepared. So if you're, if you have studied your craft and you are well-prepared in that area, then you'll never not be prepared when the opportunities come your way. My mom used to always say that luck is preparation meets opportunity. Yep. That's what I had going through my head. Yeah. Right. If you prepare for the opportunity, the luck will come. And at the end of the day, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. There you go. There you go. I was reminded of show study to show yourself approved. That was the thing that came across. Say that again. Study to show yourself approved. That's from the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, you 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 have to, and this as cliche as all those sayings are that we just dropped Laura. It it you have to do that. You have to. You have to know what you're doing. It's taken me a lifetime to figure out what I'm doing. And I still don't know as much as I should. And I'm constant, I'm always in a class. I'm always in a workshop. I'm always at some Q&A because I always feel like there's something that I can learn. You know, you can never, you, you can teach this old dog new tricks. Just saying. I mean, I think that's such a great <laughs> mindset, though. I think the people who are the best at their craft are the lifelong students of their particular industry. Because, I mean, everything is changing, morphing. Everything with technology is moving so fast. Like, yeah. it's just it's just a constant um, influx of change. But to your point, do you feel like the generation currently is just so quick to want to be where they are going that they miss that point now? The way that, you know, you need to study, you need to focus, you need to actually put in the work behind the scenes versus mm-hmm. just seeing that instant, oh, somebody posted on their Instagram that they're doing this or that in LA, but not remembering that this person spent 10 years waiting tables and going to auditions to get to that point. Do you feel like that's a product of this generation at all? Yes, absolutely. I feel that way. I feel like this, and and I can't fault them because the way that the industry has shifted and molded and, and ebbed and flowed has caused that to be the case. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was coming up, there weren't reality shows except for like Star Search, right? Star Search mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. Even, and Star Search has popped off a million zillion different people that are celebrities now, including Ellen DeGeneres. She was on Star Search. Yes. So, you know, I think what's happened is because of reality shows, because of the social media and people going viral, because yeah. we've, seen, we've seen people like Justin Bieber go viral and end up becoming a mega million uh, making recording artists. Yeah. yeah. I'm reminded of Addison Rae. I was going to say, has a TikTok large stars. TikTok yeah. star. Yeah. Yeah. Star and he's all that. Yeah. And Issa Rae, you know, with, with um, Awkward Black Girl on YouTube and now this massive success that she has with Insecure. When this generation sees stuff like that, they think that that's all they have to do to make it. They don't understand that you have to know the craft. 
You have to have a goal. You have to have some specificity behind what you're doing and saying. You can't just be like, oh my God, my my thing went viral and now I'm going to be a star. You may be for 15 minutes and then people will forget who you are because it will have no substance. Right. Or you may be that one in a million. I mean, it's still not like it's something that's going to happen to anybody. And Issa went to Stanford, right? Like, again, that's Mm -hmm. my thing is I feel like so many people look at social media these days and think, oh, this person was an instant overnight success. No, I love going and listening to interviews, seeing all the behind the scenes works. People will tell you, I have been grinding in this industry or doing Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z for 15, 20 years. Even if they started as children, like Justin Bieber started as a very young child um, as far as his artistic and creative endeavors. So just curious. And to Issa's point, she had a deal with Shonda that didn't go through. So no one saw that. They just saw the HBO. (laughs) Right. That you still have your failures. Yeah, people in LA saw it. But this is, remember when she talked about, remember when Issa talked about how at one point somebody was asking her to put white people in her program. Yes. Yes. It was ABC, it was ABC that asked her to do that. And it was doing that deal that she had with Shondaland. That's yes. why it didn't go through. Mm. Connect those dots, with, Carla. Connect those dots. Listen, because if you remember, the news came out, she was doing Awkward Black Girl and there was all this hype on that. And then she had a book that came out called yes. the Awkward Black Girl. And yep. then right after this book came out and was like on the bestseller list, mm-hmm. then the deal was announced with Shondaland because Shondaland had the deal with ABC at the time. Yes. No longer at ABC now, she's over at Netflix. Netflix, exactly. She had that massive deal with ABC. And Larry Wilmore was her executive producer with her for this deal with ABC. Mm-hmm. That was announced, and then you heard nothing else about it until they announced that um, Awkward Black Girl was now going to be called Insecure, and it was going to be on HBO. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear anything else? You didn't know why she left Shondaland. You didn't know why the deal didn't go through. You heard nothing. It's only now that all of these details and these facts are starting to come out, which brings me back to you have to have a plan. She mm-hmm. was very clear about what she wanted that show to be very clear yeah very clear she shot in every black popular pocket of los angeles she could find so that when people look at this show decades from now they will see all these wonderful places in los angeles that are rich with african-american culture and community and come here and look for that as opposed to maybe going to the hollywood walk of stars you know what I'm saying yeah Mm -hmm. which is why insecure is so important to the culture um we just talked about it in our last podcast and you know the fact that insecure is ending is just sad because Delore made the point that as you know for the millennial generation insecure is our show it is our first black gem of a show you know we look back to all the classics back in the day but insecure hopefully will stand the test of time and I love Issa Rae so much for that um Carla, any final thoughts for our audience before we let you go? We know you have to knock out some interviews and get on with your uh, endeavors, but anything else you want to discuss just for the sake of the pod? No, I think I've pretty much expressed everything that that I need to express um, in terms of, you know, what we're doing with podcasting and film criticism and, you know, learning your craft and everything. But I do want to... Um, before we close out, give some snaps and claps to you ladies, because, you know, um, you're doing it and I appreciate you. And I'm glad that you're in the space. And I'm even happier that all of us in this space have come together in this one moment to discuss it as really intelligent, creative, 
you know, excitable Black women. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to have this discussion with you. I appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you so much. It has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the podcast. And we hope that we'll be able to do something with you again in the future. But in the meantime, best of luck with the Curvy Critic and all of your uh, additional acting work. And um, is Designing Women going to be available to watch or stream anywhere for those folks who want to check it out? It was streaming during the run of the show. It no longer is now, but they are planning on doing other reiterations of the stage production. They have a production that's going to go up in Little Rock after the first of the year. I don't think they're going to stream that, but um, it will be in Little Rock, Arkansas at the Arkansas Repertory Theater. Um, I think uh, it's going to run for three weeks there in January from like mid-January to the beginning of February. And they, you know, they want to eventually get this into New York, into a Broadway house. I don't know how long that journey is going to take. And I don't know when they get to that part of the journey, if I will still be a part of it. But I'll keep my fingers crossed that that happens. And if not, then that means something greater is waiting for me somewhere. Absolutely. Well, guys, if you have not, please check her out on Instagram. Check out The Curvy Critic on YouTube. And Carla, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Delora and Ashley. I appreciate you. That was so amazing. I still cannot believe that she came on the podcast. I am cheesing so hard right now because I just can't believe it. She, Carla is everything thank you so much for coming on our podcast and talking with us it was phenomenal girl we appreciate the support if you guys have not checked out her podcast the curvy critic do so check out her her on social media but overall we hope that these conversations are insightful for you guys the way that it is for us and serves as some inspiration because i know me and delora have some inspiration from this one that we'll be taking into our 2022 goals so stay tuned for that yes absolutely we will talk to you guys next time bye